You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron is here. Cooley is here on this Wednesday, February 27th. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Let's open up the show with, what do you got? What What do you got? got? All right, what do you got, Cooley? So it's me. So I got a, dude, I got, I'm overloaded with stuff right now. Well, it's been, it's been several months since we've done this, so... I, I figured you were keeping a list. Well, no, I mean, I'm overloaded with my, my – I'm inundated with this current what do you got. Okay. Which is Just crazy, today's. and I'm way, way over my head in what I got. But um, what I got is I found out – so my grandmother passed a couple years ago, Virginia. Yes. And her husband, Don, passed before that, and they were involved in a lot of things. I mean, you, you knew my family was involved in a lot of businesses and stuff. And right. So apparently there was this trust that was set up for the, the year after – um, or, or 18 months after, that whoever was most adept in the family would take over as the sitting member on the board of – it's a company called Whirlpool. <laughs> I think I've heard of it. So I have been I, – I've been setting up meetings that i got to go – I gotta go travel all over and meet and do this board stuff, and it's crazy. Um, I, I didn't know this, but um, it's, I think it's my third great grandfather, Lou Lewis Upton, started this company, and it's like a washer and dryer company, and they do a bunch of other stuff. I don't know anything about it, so it's. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to the the origin of the place this week. I'm actually going tomorrow to Benton Harbor, Michigan, to figure a lot of this stuff out. And okay, hold <laughs> I on, guess it's a big hold, deal. stop for a second because when you first started this, I thought we were going to do you know some flim flam, some shenanigans, you know, with your you know your grandmother and your great grandfather's you know creating the slicer, the bread slicer. Remember we did that, but. I just well, that lo- was my that was my grandmother's sister. <laughs> I know, but that was a flim flam. Is this a flim flam, or are you being serious that you're about to join the board of directors at Whirlpool? I have no business being on this board, but apparently the family said whoever at the time after they passed was most adept in the family would be the next board or the the next sitting member, and so I think. You know, I, I don't know if I'm responsible for employees. They or just decisions or what I have to do. I'm still not grasping whether or not this is real or fake. What was the name of your uh, of your long, uh, relative who was on the board and that you're replacing on the board? Doesn't it doesn't seem to me that they would just allow um, a a deceased person on the board of directors to sort of will. Um, a relative onto the board of directors of a major company like this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really not. Well, it was, it was part of the Upton side of the family, which was, I guess, like my great grandfather's side. <laughs> okay. this isn't real. This isn't real. <laughs> How did you not know this was? Well, a, I because you play along. Like I, we did this bread slicer thing when we started the old show. I know, and but you, you played along so great with it. I guess and, I'm out of practice. 
I guess I'm just an easy mark right now. Because when you threw out, usually when you do this, you're just completely making everything up. And when you, when you mention Benton Harbor, Michigan, I'm like, whoa, that's where the company's based. It's on Wikipedia. (laughs) I know it's on Wikipedia. Oh man, you got me. Why didn't you? You got me. Why didn't you just play along a little bit longer? I, well, you didn't totally get me because I was trying to sniff it out. I would have played along, but you didn't, you know, usually it's more, tra- I guess it's usually more transparent, more obvious. <laughs> Kevin. Than, Kevin. What? You've been doing a lot of I'm things. I'm not going you're... to be on the board of directors of Whirlpool. No, <laughs> no chance. I, <laughs> I, I understand that. I, okay. I do understand that, but... When you you mentioned Whirlpool and you, you you know what it was maybe your best job ever in presenting it because I don't think I've ever fallen for it before and I didn't completely fall for it there but for a moment I thought you were being serious for a moment yes good job oh, Benton Harbor boy. Whirlpool they do what do they do they do some washing machines I don't even know what they I, they yeah, do I, I mean in 1968 they created ice cream makers for NASA which was one of the coolest things and. They do a ton of charitable stuff, which I thought was was what I was going to oversee. <laughs> you had a whole thing ready to go, and I completely blew it. <laughs> I pulled up the Wikipedia page. <laughs> you texted me this morning. And you said, "Let's get let's get a what do you got?" Oh, yeah. I gave you I gave right. you a good what do you got. So. I I thought you might be in the process of overseeing the uh, purchase of Maytag or KitchenAid. You know, they probably going to bring you in to, to to negotiate that deal. You know what? You'd probably be a very nice addition to Whirlpool's board. You would. You yeah. use all you use all their products, and you fix you fix all their products by yourself. Yeah, I'd go in there and I'd I'd start messing with <laughs> you know the buttons and the screws and. Oh, that was pretty good. That was good. Good job. You got me. Um, my my, what do you got? Um, deals with you know, of course, Danielle Gibson, who. The last time we saw her at UCLA, she had hit for the cycle, including two home runs in one game, and she had a serious knee injury, which means that UCLA, you know, expected to be a powerhouse in women's softball this year, um, now takes a big drop back. And I thought we could have just a conversation, a short one, not a long one. I don't think a lot of people are interested, or although a lot of you, I think, are, whether or not you think it's Tennessee or Oklahoma that ends up being the preseason number one. Yeah, I I just think Tennessee has more of an opportunity at being preseason number one because of some of the pitchers, I mean, namely Rachel Garcia, who really can go the distance in any given round, and she's got a phenomenal off-speed pitch, which is hard for girls to develop, even at a college level. Right. Uh, they also they threaten everybody on the bases. They run like crazy. And I think they play good defense as well. So Tennessee probably won. I mean, you never count out Oklahoma. LSU should be good this year. Georgia's always good. Uh, but I like UCLA, man. Yeah. I, I do. Zia Norris, heck of an outfielder. Sophomore out of Harbor City, California, from Bishop Montgomery High School. <laughs> All right, enough of this. Uh, you, know, you know what I really got? What? You, you want to you hear a real what do you got? Yeah, because I actually have a real one for you. You, you go. You go, and then I'll give you more. All right. I, I actually um, I don't think I brought this up with you last week or the week before when you were on last, but I saw this over the weekend because it was on SportsCenter, not because I'm watching the game. But first of all, I, I did ask Cooley about whether or not he's watched an AAF game, uh, Aaron, over the weekend, and he said, what's the AAF? 
he didn't have any idea that there was another football league going on right now. But anyway, in the AAF Cooley, they don't have onside kicks. Um, they have a replacement rule, which actually I really like. And typically when it comes to the NFL, I'm resistant to any significant change. But this thing makes so much sense to me, and I wanted to see if it made sense to you. So there are no onside kicks in the AAF. The only time you can attempt an onside kick, and I'll tell you what the replacement for the onside kick play is here in a moment, is if you are down by 17 or more at any point during the game or in the final five minutes of the game. And here is the replacement play for the onside kick. Fourth and 12 from your own 28-yard line. If you convert, you keep the ball, just like you would on an onside kick if you were to get it. If you don't, the defense takes over wherever they get the stop. If it's a you know an eight-yard completion and a tackle, or if it's a sack and a fumble, you can score a touchdown on the play defensively or offensively. Um, I don't know that, if, that fourth and 12 is the exact apples-to-apples apples odds on today's very low odds of converting an actual onside kick, but I like the concept of having to convert a fourth and long from right around your own 28-yard line, which makes sense to me because if you get it, then the ball's at the 40, between the 40 and 50, you know, if you complete a 12 to 22-yard pass play, which is sort of where it would be have, had you recovered the onside kick. Do you like that rule? Love that rule. Me too. And it was, it was 8% was the onsets kick, I think, this year and last year. Right. At least this year for sure. Yeah. I mean, do you think – so it, what, what is 4th and 12? 4th and 12 is probably higher than an 8% play, don't you think? Maybe it's more equivalent to the old onside kick percentages. Sure. You know, but it, but it's not it's not a one in five play. I like not, a one in five being uh, – I think one in five is, is fair. Well, what would one in five be on a 4th and, and long? I, well, 20% is – I don't know if you're getting 20% of fourth and 12. Probably 15 to 20. Yeah, I think fourth and 12. You could look that up. I, you could, I, I you could, That's an easy look-upable thing. I know. I, I, I figured that it's probably out there somewhere. Um, but fourth and 12, I, I'll, I'll find it later. But fourth and 12 seems to me like it would be somewhere – you know, it would be, you're right. I think it's a 15 to 20% conversion play in today's NFL. It seems like it. I think the NFL should seriously consider adopting that because the onside kick is a no chance play these days. And it gives the team that's down 10 that scores the touchdown with 40 seconds to go and needs to convert an onside kick really very little hope. Whereas with the old, uh, personally, I'd, I'd be fine if we went back to being able to overload one side and get a running start. And you know, in obviously, you increase the the possibility of injuries, and we saw we saw a lot of injuries on that play. But if you're not going to do that, I love the fourth and twelve from the AAF. All right, just wanted to see if you liked it too. All right, I got I got a bunch of stuff that I want to get to. First of all, last night the Caps won, and they are right now. um, Just so everybody knows, and Cooley, I've been talking about the Caps a little bit here on the show recently because they are actually. In, in a very, uh, it's not a precarious situation necessarily, but while they are now tied for first in the division, they are also only six points better than the fifth place team, Columbus, who was supposed to be, I think, very good this year. But they won last night over the worst team, I think one of the worst teams in the, N- in the uh, NHL 
in Ottawa. And then last night, uh, I watched Virginia Tech beat Duke again at home. Virginia Tech's good. How much college hoops have you been watching? You texted me during the Maryland game uh, over the weekend. Yeah, I haven't been watching a lot of college hoops. I try to watch Maryland just because I listen to the podcast every day, and you're always talking about Maryland basketball. And so I'm interested in Maryland basketball because of you. And that's about the only reason that I'm interested. And so Maryland is pretty much all I watch in terms of college basketball. Um, Virginia Tech has really – I don't know what the run is now. It's like four out of the last five, I think, in Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg that they've beaten Duke, something like that. Um, But they have a really good player that I haven't mentioned this year on the podcast. But Kerry Blackshear, who is basically their power forward, 6'10", 260, something like that. Um, He's been there for a while, Aaron, right now? He's really good. I mean, and he had a phenomenal game. Now, no Zion Williamson for Duke meant that, you know, what Carolina did to them, Virginia Tech did that did to them last night too, which is they got the ball to the rim pretty easily. But it's a good win for Virginia Tech, who is going to be, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a five to six seed, more likely than not, in the uh in the tournament. What did you think of, because we haven't talked about this, what did you think about the the Zion Williamson injury and all of the conversation that that followed about him shutting it down as to not, you know, it, 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 clearly speaking as if he improved health-wise and he was able to play, but a lot of people thought he should shut it down, should shut the season down and just get ready for the NBA. No way. In no way do I believe that. And I hate saying that because I know how much money that guys like that can make in the NBA. But there's an opportunity to to make a run in in any sport. I think that if you're a competitor and you like your teammates, and granted, it's a one-year deal, right, for most of these guys. It's not not like you've had this commitment to your teammates and your coach for three or four years uh, in a lot of the cases. But I'm making the run if I can make the run. That's the – is there a more special run in sports than a run to the Final Four or through the Sweet 16 or for whatever it is, I mean, depending on the school? Is there, is there a bigger run in sports? Yeah, there is, but if you're, a, if you're a basketball player, I mean, this is... Is there? I mean, is there, is there more hype surrounding the playoff series football? Yeah, definitely. But you, obviously, you... you Mar- I mean, March I mean, Madness is a huge different thing, but... because there's 12 teams. I mean... Yeah. It's you're looking at 64 teams, or I guess you what, what do you call it 68 now? But yeah, it's 68 not, in the field. Ma- I, I don't think there's a bigger run. I don't think you should shut it down. I I don't like that. I don't. It's different in college football when you get to the bowl game. If you're in a bowl game that isn't competing to get to the national championship in the playoffs, I don't care if they shut it down because that bowl game's really meaningless. It doesn't necessarily impact the school. Getting to the bowl game in, in football impacts the school as much as winning the bowl game. I thought you did care about that when people shut it down in football. Nah, at first I, I started to have a little bit of an issue with it, but not as much. I think I think that if you're in the playoffs and you shut it down, you're insane. But that's what basketball is as you get to the tournament. You're in the playoffs. I don't care if he plays in the tournament, in the conference tournament. Um, Scott was on last week. I don't know if you heard our conversation about you know the the whole the the long running argument about college players getting paid and 
you know, you and I have had that conversation in the past, but it really came up with the Zion Williamson thing. People were just, I mean, just mortified that this guy, you know, could have potentially had a serious injury when everyone was in the building that night, President Obama included, because of him. Um, I, you know, it's, I, I forget what your thoughts are on that. It's, I, I, I'm not in the business of paying college athletes. I, I am in the business of increasing stipends to a fair percentage that they can afford a lot of things without having to take student loans. It's, it's really hard because when you look at someone at, like Zion Williamson or when you look at anybody that goes to Duke to play basketball or anybody that goes to North Carolina to play basketball or Alabama to play football, you're really saying that the odds of them playing in a professional league are very high. But when you look at somebody that goes to Utah State to play basketball or Utah State to play football, that's still Division One, and it's not high. They're there for an education. So you're taking t- 10 schools in every sport and saying incredibly high odds of, of making a league, and then the rest of them saying, look, you're there for an education and there's a, there's a chance that you can make the league. I think that to make it fair, you just make it so you triple your stipend. Like, for example, it, this is crazy because this is what I was getting. At the time in Logan, Utah, I was getting $495 a month in my college stipend. How much was it? $495 a month. Well, I mean, back in, in when you were there. Yeah, but when it came down to it, when you take the stipend and you're not living on campus, you're not privy to the campus food, I mean, they may have changed that with stipends now. But I had like $44 a month to go buy food. <laughs> But after I paid rent, car insurance, gas, whatever it was, I had like budgeted down to like forty or fifty bucks. So how, I how many ate ramen and eggs and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So then you're looking at a kid that's got to eat the cheapest possible things to be able to make it. I and I get it that so a lot of these bigger schools, there's a possibility that donors or someone around them give them money. I'm also not. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I know that's crazy, but I'm not opposed to someone giving kid. 200 bucks if it's not the university and there's no ties but that's impossible to prove so you can't get into that all i'm saying is if i had 1500 dollars a month i would have lived without any wealth but comfortably as a college kid right. i wouldn't have had to worry about what i was going to eat or where how much money i could spend at the grocery store i could have gotten healthy food it would have been a lot simpler for me i could have focused more on my sport and education than i did having to find that extra means. Again, I'm not suggesting that you're paying these guys 100 grand a year or whatever they want to be paid. I, for me, it would have been the difference of $1,000 a month, so $12,000 more a year. Um, I, I think at the – I could be wrong about this, but I think at the major Power 5 you know, schools and programs – I I don't know how many of those players live live off campus. You know, in many of those situations, they have a dorm that's the football dorm or the basketball dorm. And I think a I, lot of them live off campus. But your freshman year, you're for you you have to live on campus, and I think after that, you're given a choice to live off campus if you want to. Yeah, but the food is still accessible for Alabama football players. I would imagine that there's a dining hall where they could eat all three or all five meals if they want. Yeah, that kid to. complained a couple years ago, and I think they changed it. Okay. Um, you know, so but but in the in the real, I mean, in the real world of what it is, you're trying out to play a professional sport, and you're given that opportunity to try out to play a professional sport, and and so go to school, do what you need to do. I do think that they should alter for certain kids. Like once you have a draft projection on you, 
like it's Zion William, Williamson. They need to change what his course schedule is and what he's actually doing because his degree is not going to be his degree. His degree is going to be in professional sports. And at that point, that you have a grade on you, which would have given me almost a full year of school in that world. Go teach him how to be a professional athlete. Just find a way to teach him how to save their money, what's going to happen. It's like a symposium for a year. Help him out. Help him be pros versus, hey, you got to get your degree. This is going to be important to you. Because honestly, Kevin, my degree didn't mean anything to me. It doesn't now. It, would, it didn't. An art education degree did not help me in any way, shape, or form. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't say this like dismissive what a degree can do for people. But after I, I signed a contract for $30 million, what was my art education degree doing for me? No, I know. You uh, should have taught me how to be a pro athlete. Right. Um, I think everything you said, I, I agree with. I, th- those are the things that, first of all, in basketball, it's going to become a non-issue because they're going to have the NBA right out of high school as an option again here soon. Um, and they they need to do that so that the questions about um, situations like Zion Williamson don't come up. Because if if Zion could have gone straight to the pros and was at Duke, um, the answer would have been, look, this was his choice. You know, uh, he, he decided to go to Duke for a year. He knew the rules. He could have gone to the NBA out of high school and been, and been uh, paid right now for, for playing. They need, to, they need to get back to that because, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, we've done this um, a bunch recently on the show, so I'm not going to spend a long time, but, but you and I haven't talked about it in a while. The bottom line is that 90% plus of universities would not be able to pay athletes. They don't make money. Um, when you talk about all of the other programs that need to be funded, Title IX rules, et cetera, you know, as Scott said, you know, everybody screams and yells and, and they're just all dumb because most of these schools actually couldn't pay um, without getting state funding. The second part of it is the value proposition for the athlete, which I think you agree with to a certain um, point, is very under-communicated. And I'm not talking about the school part, the free school part. I'm talking about, you know, the marketing platform that playing for Alabama or playing in, in football or playing for Duke in basketball gives these players. no people, Zion Williamson's the exception to the rule. Nobody really, unless you're following recruiting, knew who R.J. Barrett was before he played for Duke. And because he's played at Duke, he's going to enter the NBA as a top three pick next year with huge endorsement deals that he would not have otherwise had had he gone right from high school to the NBA. Um, and I just, I don't know why. I, I think there's something, I think there's something to that, but along those same lines, I'm also not opposed to a college athlete who has created a name for himself in whatever reason. And granted, it might be because he went to a big school, but he went to a big school because of his talent, getting paid for endorsements during his time in college. The problem with that is it creates in some of these situations a, a, an even more significant recruiting advantage because you're chances of of attracting that kind of an endorsement is going to be much greater at Kentucky than it is even at let's just say Kansas State you know it's so it that that's the problem with that and there for all intents and purposes the those that are going to end up playing in the NBA are building up you know their deferred endorsement deals anyway by playing for these programs anyway uh, let's get to some Redskins stuff because I know you've oh listen at, before you get to some Redskins stuff yeah okay since you did your basketball stuff, yeah, I have been watching for the first time in my in my life a little bit of college wrestling, which I know doesn't excite you. No, but if you look up Penn State and what they've done over the last eight years with Cal Sanderson as their head coach, and not, this is not a flim flam. I'm dead serious. It's 
it, it is the, one of the most incredible runs in, in sports. It's patriot-like. It's unbelievable. And they've won seven out of eight national championships. I'm watching these guys wrestle. They're, they're the Am- Alabama of wrestling. Like, you go from, from their 157, Jason Nolf, to 165, this kid, Vincenzo Joseph, 174, all number one in the, in, in the country. They're 184, number two in the country. They're 197, number one in the country. They haven't lost a duel in 158 straight duel matches. I, if you're a coach anywhere in this world, how are you not knocking down Kelsey Anderson's door to figure out what he's doing? He was a four-time national championship, national champion, Olympic gold, the best of the best at his position or in his in his sport, which not very often translates to the best of the best in coaching. And most of the time, the best of the best, you say, well, they're, you have a hard time getting the most out of these guys because they don't do what you could do. This guy's getting ten. This guy's getting six, seven guys a year, eight guys a year on his roster to do what he did and win national championships. I, I, if I want to learn about coaching, Kel Sanderson might be the first person that I go talk to. Okay, that's my real. What do you got? I, if you want, so normally college wrestling is boring, and I've been talking about this a little bit. I did this on my podcast earlier this week. Normally, college wrestling is fairly boring. Not boring when you watch Penn State. They are incredibly dominant. It's not slow. It's not boring. It is watching a, a team dominate any other team in the country. That is how good they are. It is unbelievably impressive. And the only reason I came upon it was because it was on the Big Ten Network, and my TV was on that from a Maryland game that I'd watched the night before. That's happened to me before. They, and I they, just sat they, there, and I, I, watched, I watched this kid, Jason Nolf, who is, I think, a two- or three-time national champion, dominate somebody through an entire round or through an entire match, never look tired and just keep attacking. And I'm like, this is, they were wrestling Ohio state and Ohio state's good. And it was not even close. It was a beating of all beatings. They beat people. Like if this is basketball, they, they beat everybody like 90 to 50, everybody. They won- 90 to 90. To, it's more than that. It's more dominant than that. It's like 90 to 30. It's insane. Well, I mean, this is this is scintillating conversation. I'm so into it. Um, but I'm sure other people would say that when I talk college hoops, they're not into it either. But I would just – I'll tell you this. I it's Bigger picture is what I'm really getting at When here. Ryan, my youngest son, um, went to Penn State – he's a freshman at Penn State, as you know. When he went there, he mentioned in the fall at one point, he said, Dad, do you know how dominant Penn State wrestling is? And I said, I don't. I just know that Iowa is really good. Because I remember Iowa was like a power for years, right? When you wrestled, wasn't Iowa the powerhouse in like they won like the national championship basically every year in wrestling? Yeah, Iowa and Iowa State and Minnesota were always the dominant, dominant wrestling teams. Was you? Was your? We didn't have wrestling. Oh, you didn't have it at Utah State. Who recruited you? For for those that don't know, Cooley was one of the top high school wrestlers in the country his senior year. Who recruited you? I had offers from every school. Every school to wrestle. I like the big power, like Iowa, Minnesota, all those schools. Now my offers were at what is currently the 197 weight because when I came out of high school, I, like I won the state championship my senior year. I was undefeated. I went to the college nationals, or the high school nationals, which was my first time crossing the Mississippi as a senior in high school. I went to Pittsburgh, and I lost my second match. And there's, like, at the college, or the high school nationals, there was 150 guys in my bracket. So losing the second match essentially meant that I had to wrestle 14 matches to get into the meddling rounds. Hmm. And I lost, and I shouldn't have lost, but 
anyways, as I went through 14 matches, every coach and in every college coach is there watching. They're like, dude, you you're a, you're awesome. And I probably should have ended up taking third, but sprained my ankle and ended up taking six because I couldn't even walk on my feet. So they wanted me to wrestle 197. That said, the next year at that point in time, I weighed 245 pounds. So 197 would have been out of the question. But I think I would have been a good heavyweight. I got offers. You know, I got offers. I got 10 calls after my freshman year of college football to come and start as their heavyweight wrestlers. At what schools? A bunch of schools. I can't remember. But, but exactly I mean, the but the pa- the powerhouses, like Pac-10 schools and a couple a couple Big Ten schools right. at the time, and it was a tough decision for me. After my freshman year at Utah State, not really playing, not redshirting, but not really playing, to say I can go start anywhere. But then I thought about it and said, Yeah, wrestling's way harder. I, I, that would that would be tough. It was harder than football wrestling. Wrestling's not even comparable to football. Interesting. Which is why I think it's really interesting when I watch their lineup top to bottom wrestle and outwork everybody. They're all the best, but they're all in better shape than anybody anyways. To say, Kale Sanderson, the head coach there, is getting more out of these kids than I could possibly imagine. How is a head coach getting this much out of these kids? Like, what is he doing? I want to know. Coaching is co- I mean, coaching is coaching. I mean, if you figure out how to motivate people and – and manage people, and you, you could probably do it in any in any sport. I mean, I mean, so, I so guarantee many, he could fix the safety risk that Whirlpool had in the UK with the dryers. <laughs> he probably could have. Um, he would have had to consult some board uh, directors on the board first. Um, Gary Williams went undefeated as the college uh, soccer coach at Lafayette. The, I think it was the freshman team or the JV team, but undefeated. Didn't know one thing about soccer, and they went undefeated. Um, I mean, Joe Gibbs just had one, two, and three at the Daytona 500. Wasn't that emotional to see that? That was weird. That it was incredibly emotional, but that was eerie. What are you from a religious standpoint? Are you? Gonna... I, just, I'm not religious. I but, know you're not. I mean, if you want to bang down that that drum, that's that's a big statement right there. <laughs> that Coy Gibbs came down from above. Mm-hmm. It is. Okay. I mean, just saying, it's been over 40 years since any one team's done that. It. It's not like they just give it up in NASCAR. People want to win that race. It was, I know they're all teams and they run together a little bit, but that's crazy. It's 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 really strange how as um, it's not strange, but I guess my reaction to it was not what I would have expected necessarily. But when I I turned it on live for the what they called NASCAR overtime because there were all these crashes in the final few laps and. And, you know, to see it, it, the Gibbs team went one, two, three. And I was, I was rooting for, you know, Denny Hamlin or Jones or, or Bush, one of the Gibbs cars, to win. I couldn't care less about the Daytona 500. I'm just rooting for Joe. But when he got interviewed walking down the track afterwards, it was emotional for anybody that's a lifelong, you know, Redskins fan and Joe Gibbs fan to see that considering what his family had gone through. I really found myself very emotional watching it and just – I mean, he really is. He's the number one uh, all time. You know, if you if you take a Redskins, you know, the short list of of the most meaningful people in the history of the organization. You know, we've done it with players. You know, many times Mount Rushmore of players, but Gibbs is the number one. He's the number one guy in the. Organization. I mean, and maybe I got I I was I felt a little bit more because I was at the ceremony and and then at the for Super Bowl. I sat down with Joe for an hour, and I mean. It was it was wild, and 
you know, Logano came in fourth. Didn't Logano race for Gibbs Racing for the first couple of years of his career too? I guess. I mean, you would know that. I don't. I don't know. So I mean, it was just. All right. I don't know. I thought I thought it was wild. All right. Let's talk some football. Um, Cooley is joining us. Uh, first, let me tell you about Window Nation. Get your old and drafty windows replaced now because the cold weather is going to come to an end and they need, Window Nation needs, to keep their installers and the factory busy. It's the right time to buy. For the next two weeks, buy two, get two free. That's two free windows with every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. No minimum purchase. Plus, as mentioned, pay nothing for a full year. No down payment, no payments, and no interest for 12 full months. Uh, call now, 866-90NATION, or go to windownation.com. You're wasting money on high-energy bills by not calling now. Get two windows for every two you buy for free. Buy four, get four free, no limit. Plus, put nothing down, and you'll have no payments and no interest for a full year. 866-90NATION or windownation.com, and tell them that I sent you. All right, uh, I wanted to start with um, some of the quarterbacks, uh, but... Before we get to the quarterbacks that you've broken down, because you've looked at now Kyler Murray and Ryan Finley from NC State, uh, two that you've actually broken down on film. We'll get to that in a moment. But there are a couple of things I want to get to first. Did you see the story? Peter King wrote on Monday Morning Quarterback um, that I think he wrote it or maybe he tweeted it. I don't know. He had the Redskins as one of the five best um, or uh, highest probability landing spots for Antonio Brown. Do you think there's any chance the Redskins would trade for Antonio Brown? I don't know if there's a chance they would trade for him. It's not the common move. I do know that that's a position that they need in a huge way. I know that that position is not necessarily available via free agency. It's a hard one to find in the draft. And I also know that after the Steelers eat whatever it was Antonio Brown had in guaranteed money on the cap, that his cap numbers are right around $12 million a year, which is very, very viable for that player at that position. And so the fit would be perfect, I think, even financially, if you were going to do that. You would have, obviously, the question of, well, what you have to give up. What first you have of to all. give up is one. Yeah, and then two. Do you have uh, an offense and a quarterback that it, that would make it worthwhile? Well, and th- well, first of all, yes, you you can make him work in any offense with any quarterback because you can throw him a screen and he can take it seventy five. That's the difference with Antonio Brown. He can do everything, but he can catch underneath and and go deep. And he dictates coverage and he scares people over the top. And your play action game is going to benefit for him. He's going to fit perfectly. That's not a question for me. Even, I mean, it, it, with Colt McCoy, yes, you're fine. I know he can get him the ball. I, I'm not 100% sure what they're going to do after that. But what you have to give up, I think, is, is massively important. But he's certainly worth a top five pick, at least one, right? You'd give up a top five for Antonio Brown. I would. If you knew you liked him, I guess. If he wasn't going to create You'd give a, up a top five pick for Antonio Brown. Where are you going to find that talent? I understand that, but if he's that thir- talent but he's were 30... okay, let me let me ask yeah. you this. Let's just say now, granted, you're supposed to take best available, but best available also meeting need to any team in the draft. Where are you going to find that player? Um, the the issue is not whether where you're going to find that player because you won't more likely than not. The issue is, is it worth it to give up a top five pick for a player that will be the best player you could have drafted for a couple of years max? He's going to be 31 when the season starts. 
And are you really ready to win? Or do you need a player that hopefully is going to be a great player for you for a decade? I understand that, but there's also the what player are you drafting? Spencer Long, Ryan Grant, Trent Murphy, Kirk Cousins, all through the list. You're going to get a comp pick. You're going to get a comp pick for him in 2025. Woo! We might get the 96 pick in the draft. But uh, I, I think that he has incredible value. The one, the, here's the other thing I'd ask. Can you win now with him? Can you win next year with him? Does he help you win immediately? Because when you give that up for that type of player, you you need a lot of times it's it's that type of player is going to help you win right the second. And I don't quite know if the answer to that is is 100% yes without a quarterback. So it, it gets into at 15, are you going to acquire the quarterback that you want, and is it worth it? Because the Steelers are going to demand this year's number one from somebody. So, but you're you're saying right now, if you were the Redskins. I want to be clear on this, that you would give up number 15 for Antonio Brown? Because I think yeah. Pittsburgh would take number 15. I think that would be the best they'd get. They're going to demand a high price. If I'm Pittsburgh, I'm not trading him. It doesn't matter. They've already they've already committed to trading him. He doesn't, I know, but I, I just think it's insane. If I I'm think Pittsburgh, it's insane, I'm too. I'm, I'm not committing to trading him. I'm just telling him that it's he's going to be here, and we're going to get you at least seven receptions a game, and you're going to be happy, and we're going to deal with it. And whether, If it's something to do with you and Ben, then... We're going to you know, figure it out. Gonna, you guys are going to figure that out, and we're going to work through that situation. I know, and I know that's absolutely that's a hundred percent the I, way I to do it. I don't understand where you like well, where you're creating these rifts with your best players, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. I mean, when you get guys to a certain level, you understand their egos change a little bit, and you must adapt somewhat as an organization to their ego. You're exactly right. I mean, the best what's in the best interest of the Steelers is not to trade Antonio Brown and take the salary cap hit that they're going to take by trading him. But Cooley, they tried. I think they tried. I mean, Art Rooney, you know, the the, the current Rooney that's in the organization sat and met with him. Kevin Colbert, you know, who went off on Ben Roethlisberger last week, calling him basically for all intents and pers- purposes the most important person in the organization. He met with him. There, he, Brown doesn't want to be there, and they're ready to trade him. But which speaks to why what you said is true. They're gonna have to get significant compensation back, just to sort of you know on some level offset the salary cap hit they're gonna take. I don't I, personally. I don't think I'd give up number fifteen for Antonio Brown. I, I don't think I, I would do it. I, Not I, for this team, okay. anyway. If I were yeah, another that, team... I think that's, a, that's, a, that's the other question is that I posed, is do you win now with him? Right. If I'm Denver or I'm San Francisco or, you know, I'm one of those teams, Jacksonville, you know, they, they probably wouldn't do it necessarily. They may not have enough room. Um, but if, if, I, if, if I were one of those teams that I thought was you know, a player or two away from being a legitimate contender, I would think about it. But the but the Redskins are not that team. And by the time – he may make them more competitive. But by the time, let's just say, you know, wishful thinking, in two years or three years, they're ready to really compete for something. He's really on the downside of his career. And the other thing I said, Cooley, yesterday, and this is true, you know, Bruce Allen, with the exception of Alex Smith – since Bruce Allen came here in 2010, the one thing that Dan and Vinny used to do, which was pay 30-year-olds and guys that were more likely than not on the backside of their best years, Bruce hasn't done that. You know, But I, you're not paying him. The Steelers already paid him. You're just going to assume base salaries for the next three years, which is right in line with what Deshaun was getting. Yeah, right. $8 million, and he improved, eight, nine million, and then right? The other thing, he, it's a... Twelve million dollars a year. It, oh, the base is twelve. 
but that's comparable to the eight million that Deshaun got four oh. years ago, based on the cap and the percentage going up. It's it's, it's almost Deshaun was twenty five or twenty, you know, at the time. Yeah, but year by year cap hit yeah, yeah, for I the Redskins it. is very similar, yeah. and so that is actually a really good fit for any other team. That's that's appealing to another team that they didn't have to pay their guaranteed money. You do have to ask, does he come in have a good year and say, I'm holding out for a new contract? Right. <laughs> there's there's that as well. Because he's and crazy. Thirty two. He's probably going to want to because he's already been paid the guaranteed. So there, there are some big questions that you'd have to answer. But if, if you knew you had two years for sure before you had to negotiate and there's potential to negotiate, uh, you'd have to know him a little bit. That's always part of it. But he, like, you want Doxon to be better? Take coverage away from Doxon. Take the number one corner off Doxon and let him be the Z, and he's going to be much better. Take the safety and the number one and shade him to Antonio Brown. Doxon's going to be a better player. You're going to get a lot more out of Jordan Reed. You're going to get more out of Trey Quinn when he's in there. Richardson's going to have a lot more easy looks to get the ball to. It, it changes what you do offensively to have a number one like that. All right, um, let's get to the quarterback stuff. And by the way, one of the things I'd like you to consider as you're going through all these quarterbacks for your podcast, um, which you can get any way you get a podcast, you can get Cooley's podcast, is to consider this question, and that is if Arizona were willing to trade Josh Rosen, um, would the Redskins be better off if quarterback was the priority of trading number 15 for Josh Rosen or drafting one of the guys that they could potentially get at 15 or potentially would have to or possibly would have to trade up to get. Because I think that that is in play here um, in Arizona if they end up drafting a quarterback one overall. But let's start with your evaluation of – Well, first first of all, yeah. you, you can't ask me that question and then not start with it. I'm, so, giving, I'm giving you work because you, you like, can't possibly answer that right now. Because I can answer have, it right now. You haven't you evaluated to... all the quarterbacks. Here's here's the guy. One guy I have evaluated is Kyler Murray, and it's really interesting that Arizona hired Cliff Kingsbury as a former college coach who played in that division and operated in that type of offense and was Patrick Mahomes' guy. And uh, you know, Kyler Murray would fit perfectly into what he's been doing. So that actually is incredibly viable. And and don't think that's crazy. it might not be real, but don't think it'd be crazy to think they said, look, if we really like Kyler Murray, let's get a coach that will develop him immediately right now, and we can trade Rosen for the 15th pick, per se, and take Murray at one. No, I understand that. My, my point is it's hard for you to answer the question as to whether or not the Redskins should do that when you haven't evaluated all of the quarterbacks coming out. Because what I really would want to know from you is, is Rosen better than anybody you would get at 15? Or better than anybody thing, in this draft? I think the other thing you got to do is you got to look at Rosen and what he did in Arizona last year. Under of course. It was the worst offense of all time. I mean, it was absolutely dreadful from the start with Mike McCoy and then going through to who was the quarterback? Uh, Byron Leftwich that ran the offense that had, had never – had been a coach for one year and now is coordinating an offense that just there's no way you can call plays if you haven't been a coach for more than a year. I don't know what I see out of Rosen, but enough people saw that he was a top 10 pick last year, a top 20 pick for sure. I think you get the experience of another year. It'd be really interesting to trade for Rosen. But yeah, like you said, I got to know a little bit more about probably Daniel Jones and Drew Lockett. Exactly. Exactly, and you have not evaluated them, but you have evaluated Kyler Murray and Ryan Finley. Let's start with Kyler Murray. All right, here's the first thing with Kyler Murray. He's electric. You you watch him play, and he is what people call twitchy. And I I hate 
I hate that I start with it. I did this on the podcast yesterday. I hate it that I started with it that way because he's way more than that. It's not that he's Lamar Jackson, a running back. He looks like a running back. He looks like Lamar Jackson in the open field, but he's electric. So I'm starting with some of the positives. The thing I really liked is that he is incredibly comfortable pre-snap operating at the line of scrimmage. He does not get rattled. He does not get flustered. He dictates where he's sliding his line, where he's calling his plays, his checks, all his stuff he does. He's very competent pre-snap, and he's very comfortable, and he seems like he's an absolute leader out there, and so I love that. The guy, you know, in terms of a passer, he can make every throw. That, that, that's the thing you love about him. You're, you're concerned because he's small, but he can make every throw. College hashers are wider. There's no problem for him to be on a right hash and throw an 18-yard comeback across the field to the left hash and timing with no lag on the ball. So even as a smaller guy, I see that he can make every throw. And I also see that he can make you know, every throw from a lot of different arm angles. Good throwing on the run, good throwing on the move. So I like that a lot in him. Um, I don't think that he runs, Kevin, to run. I, I saw a guy that's not afraid of trash in the pocket and trash around his feet to stay in the pocket. I see a guy that when he moves, it, a lot like Russell Wilson, is still moving to eventually throw the football, which I absolutely loved. And so his scrambles are really keeping his eyes down the field. And, and you got to be impressed with that. Um, sees coverage pretty well. I think he sees the field pretty well, but he operates in, in that all-gun in a lot of play-action type of offense, and they run the ball pretty well, and so you got to commit to being able to stop the run, not only just the run game, but him as a part of the run game as well, and so that changes how many coverages you see. You don't see very many coverages. Uh, so he, he does seem comfortable with coverages, but he's seen one or two, three coverages a game. They're not getting like an NFL look where you're going to get ten different coverages and looks throughout the game. Uh, As a passer, I thought he had good anticipation on throws, especially throws to the outside. I think he throws a good deep ball. He's he's got good arc and good trajectory on a deep ball. He gives guys opportunities to get the ball. I I think he's a guy that is is very practiced in play-action fakes. He shows the ball. He's patient with whatever he does. He does. He's a guy out there. He's a dude, man. He does everything. He is he is incredible. I was highly impressed with all of the positives from Kyler Murray. He also has a super quick quick release. Right. All right. So what are the negatives? Some of the negatives, <clears throat> which are hard. I mean, there are, are not as many, but you find them with everybody. One inconsistent a lot with timing and rhythm throws, especially to the middle of the field. Like he's behind receivers and he's late getting to throws into the middle of the field. And so you're looking at a guy that hasn't played a ton and that hasn't had that experience and maybe is is not seeing some things. Actually, let's start with the real overall negatives. He looks tiny back there. He, he was 175 pounds last year. Right. He looks apparently, like, apparently he's uh, like our old punt returner Banks back there playing quarterback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. He, I mean, he, he, look, he looks tiny. Brandon Banks. Um he apparently has put on some muscle and, and weight here. Yeah, he's going to weigh in at 206. Right. Which also people said, is that going to slow him down? Is he going to run a 4.6 now? No, he's not going to run a 4.6. I'm sure he's put on 20 pounds of muscle and, and worked out in the right way to get that there. The other glaring negative, he's only started 13 games. That, you're not seeing as many coverages. You're not seeing as many looks. And although there aren't as many in college, if you're a three- or four-year starter, eventually you're going to see all of them. Right. He has only operated in gun 
and he has mostly operated out of play-action stuff, so you're not seeing him do as much quick-game stuff. Now, their RPO stuff is available. They also have some cool niche stuff off of that with double moves off RPO stuff. But, you know, I haven't seen him operating in one, two, three, cut the field in half, quick-game type of stuff. So I, I got to teach him to do that, or I got to hire Kingsbury to just run that exact same offense and not do that. I don't know. He would fit great in the Rams offense, by the way, with all the play action stuff and all the boot stuff. And that's a, that's the kind of offense you run for him. Uh, I said he was small. He takes shots, man. He can slide, and he slides when he's a scrambler. But when he's a runner, he ain't sliding. Nice so is he, is he going to be durable at that position? Well, that's a big. That's a big question, isn't that the biggest? I mean, all of the technical side of stuff, uh, all the technical stuff aside, excuse me, um, the size is his biggest concern, and whether or not he could hold up physically at this level. I, I I've got a couple of questions for you. T- tell but, me when you're done. Okay, let me give you the the last couple. Okay, uh, get stuck on the deep ball too long. Uh, so when he's throwing deep shots, he gets stuck too long on the deeper shot before getting to the intermediate or getting all the way down to the bottom level. And he'll force throws into some double coverage over the top a little bit too much. He also takes way too many shots into double coverage when he's off schedule. So when he's off schedule moving around, he really does want to take the shot down the field and he throws a lot of risky balls. And so you're concerned about that. Um, he, he was a guy that I think 42 touchdowns, seven picks, like six of the seven picks were all on him. Like when you watch some of the picks, when you watch the Texas Tech picks that he threw two in one game against Texas Tech, you're like, what are you doing? The ball is never going to go there. That's insane. Through a pick against West Virginia, fooled by coverage, you're like, you can't throw that. That's dumb. Don't do that. So the couple little inane picks that you're, you're wondering about, but you justify by saying the guy started 13 games in his career. So I, I'm not too concerned about that. And then, you know, lastly, not a lot of touch on his underneath throws. I think I think you're concerned with some of the touch throws, and he misses some throws like that. Uh, watch the Alabama game. He's got some errant throws that I think if he put some touch, he would be a little bit better on the ball. But he is an accurate passer at times. He does know where he wants to go with the ball. He can back shoulder a guy in the middle of the field to keep him away from pressure. He can make every throw. He can. He just misses some. It doesn't mean he can't make them. He just misses more than you'd want him to maybe. Size used to be really important in the evaluation of a quarterback. It isn't as much anymore. Is it important to you? Yeah, I think there's some importance to it. If you if you said, would you rather take a guy that's six three versus five ten, five eleven? The answer is one hundred percent yes. And and the real underlying thing is when you go from one to two in a in a quick game situation, three five step drop, can you get to your check down? By that, I mean, can you see it? Can he see and find his back over the offensive line who's checked three to five yards in front of him? And so that's one of the big size issues. So obviously with Kyler Murray, you're going to have to alter where your check downs are and where they're going to be. You're not going to want to check a back over the ball. Like the Redskins' number one check down spot, the four verts, they have a little option route right over the middle of the ball, right over the middle of the field with a running back. And you see Kirk always go over the middle of the back or Chris Thompson, all the catches he's made in the last few years right there. Like that's a hard thing to see if you're 5'10", because you just don't. But Kyler Murray also negotiates the pocket so well, and he finds little passing lanes that I think he'll be able to see it. Oklahoma had a lot of checkdowns where they just they had some play-action shots where receivers going deep, and they'd hit your receiver up on the outside. Their checkdowns were more on the outside, and he does have the arm strength to get those checkdowns. So 
Yeah, the size is not a massive issue. I'm not overly concerned with him being, if he's 200 pounds, being durable. Um, you know the one issue that we, you and I talked about is if it doesn't go well for two years, is he sitting there saying, baseball. should play baseball? Right. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously you take the football deal, the, the initial contract's much bigger in football. But baseball was going to give him guarantees to have major league shots early in his career. They were going to pay him $4 million bucks or did. He had to give it back. And I got to know that he's come in and worked like an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think that is definitely part of the, the evaluation. You have to be confident, especially if you're taking him in Cliff King, at Kingsbury's position at number one overall, that – you know, he's not going to two years from now say, this is rough, it's not what I thought it would be, I'm going to go play for the Oakland A's. Um, because you can't have a first pick overall as a quarterback um, end up moving on to another sport. Um, I, I did, you know, one of the things, too, when it comes to players like Kyler Murray is 10 years ago we didn't have comps for him. Now we've got potential comps and offenses that look like at times the offense he's run in college, or certainly the potential exists for an NFL team to do that, is is Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Michael Vick. I mean, if you want to go back to before, you know, offenses were really designed to you know leverage all of his unique talents. Who is he? Who does he resemble to you? Is Patrick there, Mahomes. He resembles Mahomes, but he can run more like Lamar Jackson. I think he's creative like Mahomes. To me, to me, he looks like small Mahomes, faster, but small Mahomes. I mean, we're talking about you're going to comp him to Russell Wilson, but he's a much better runner than Russell Wilson. Really, he's a faster runner. You think he has? Oh, the... he's way more twitchy. He can make guys miss way more than Russell Wilson can, and will at the NFL level. He will be a nuisance and a problem as a runner and in the pocket. He is elusive. But Russell is too. But a lot of Russell's like innate presence and understanding. He, trust me, he's. Fat. I'm not discounting what Russell can do. I'm just telling you that Kyler Murray is more elusive. But if if you're comparing him to Mahomes, also a smaller version of Mahomes, then you have to ask yourself the question: Will the size make the difference between him becoming Mahomes or a combination of Mahomes and and uh, and Lamar Jackson, or his size will prevent him from 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 growing? I you know, into can. A I think it can if you're not willing to adapt your offense to what he's capable of doing. If you're going to li- literally sit there and say, hey, we want you to run three to five step drop, quick game stuff, intermediate game stuff, and, and, and have to get to your check down, I think it can absolutely impact him. But if you're going to go a lot of play action stuff and get him out on the move, sprint him out, changes changes location point as a passer – no, I mean he he can make all those creative plays that Mahomes makes. That's that's what it reminds me of a little bit more than than, and I guess maybe style of offense was way more similar to the Chiefs than what Seattle did last year. Uh, would he be a good fit for Jay Gruden? Yeah, they're not getting him, but yeah, uh, you're convinced he'll be long gone before fifteen. I, I think when you look at Kyler Murray, you, you look at teams that need quarterbacks, and you say. May not obviously uh, Arizona could do anything. That's a wild card with Rosen. But if you say they had Rosen and Garoppolo's sitting there too with the 49ers, they're not taking him. And who's three? Three is not taking him. Uh, the Jets. Yeah, the, the Jets are the, not taking the, him. The Raiders could at four. The Raiders could at four. Um, the Giants obviously could. And the at Giants six. at six, and the Jags at seven. Right. But then you're saying 
who's if you really fell in love with them and you're concerned the Raiders are going to take him, the Giants or the Jags are probably going to try to trade up to three to get ahead of the Raiders. Right. I think he goes in the top five. Okay. Tell tell everybody about Ryan Finley. I actually mentioned him on the show yesterday with J.P. Finley. I always liked watching um, Finley play at NC State. He always looked to me like a pro quarterback, but typically when they played really good def- defensive teams – um, he, although Clemson, he had great games against over the years, but man, he looked very ordinary against a really good defensive team, Texas A&M in their bowl game. So first of all, the one thing you, you, you have to consider when you're saying the guy threw for like 17 and 28 against Clemson for 150 yards and a pick or two picks, you have to say how much better is Clemson's talent than their talent in terms of receivers and ability to get down the field. How much pressure is he going to have because they can't block things up because Clemson's defensive line is insane. How much does he have to overcome in terms of talent to have success in that game? And the answer is a ton. Like I watched that Clemson game. Uh, and I watched early in the game him trying to throw a seven-yard out route on his right side and timing rhythm perfect, and the receiver just gets locked down and the DB bats the ball. Was that, a great I was throw. It should have been a completion. You know, in that Clemson game, I was actually, actually referring more to the Clemson game from the year before when they nearly beat him um, with Finley playing great. But yeah, that's right. They got blown out this year. Sure, and and, and but there were there were plays that in this game that he made. They were they were down fourteen zero in the second quarter, and they had a hitch and go wide open that he throws a perfect deep ball, and the receiver drops it plain in his hands. <laughs> so that's a highlight film if he catches that ball for Ryan Finley. So I, I look. When I look at Finley, you're looking at the guy that's 6'4", probably come in 210, 215, maybe 220 at the combine. Three-year starter. Uh, he was a basketball player and, and football player out of Phoenix. I like guys that are multi-sport guys. Competent starter. You know, he went to Boise State and tore his ACL and then went to NC State. Right. Competent starter for three years. Slightly improves every year. You're concerned about his touchdown rate, which is never high. 25 touchdowns to 11 picks last year. 17 to 6, 18 to 8. Um, but I, the things I like, I like that he's he's running an NFL style offense, and they really are to to a large extent at NC State. It's all zone run stuff. Right now, they don't not necessarily have tight ends on the ball. They have them more in the backfield at times. But he's in the gun. He's under center. He's in the pistol. They move him all around, so he he can do everything there. Um, I think he he has pretty good command of the field. I think he sees things, blitzes and stuff pre-snap. To me, he's a guy that that understands how to play the position, good feet, good drop, holds the safety with his eyes downfield. I think he has good anticipation on a ton of throws. To me, he was a good boot quarterback, could throw and square his shoulders on the run. I thought he fit balls into tight windows, especially in third down situations with with a lot of accuracy. I think he can throw the ball on the back shoulder on a slant to avoid throwing his receiver into a linebacker. Um, to me, diagnosis from one to two pretty quick. Uh, good touch throughout on on short throws. I thought he threw a really good deep ball. Actually, I thought he had some talent as, as far as a deep ball. Uh, a good player, like you can see, consistent quarterback knows how to play the game. Solid starter. You know exactly what you're going to get. Uh, more a day two guy, right? Not a day three guy. Do you agree that he could that he's not getting past the third round? I think he's a third-round pick. Okay. I, I, I think a lot of people had him as the fifth-best quarterback on the board, but I, I think he's probably more of a, a, a third-down or a third-round type of pick. I, I think that there's enough to him 
where he's not making he's not making enough plays. He's taking some risks because he's trusting his arm a lot and throwing it into some things that he shouldn't throw it into. I, I think he can misread some deep throws. Terrible run fake guy for a zone run offense. Like his run fakes are the worst of all time, which doesn't mean a lot, but it, it, you can coach that up pretty quickly. Well, it does mean I, a I little think bit. He, right? I think for a guy that's a pocket passer, does not does not feel incredibly comfortable in the pocket. Like I can see him leaving the pocket because he's got exterior pressure when he can step up and reset. I'd like to step see him step up, reset, and make throws a little bit more. He gets his eyes down a little bit more than I would like. Um, look, he's a he's a very good player, but he's not a first round pick, and he's probably if he's if he gets into the second, he's probably a late second round pick, and so I don't see Finley as as your answer for a team that needs a starting quarterback. All right, um, you're going to do more of these, right? And you can listen to him on Cooley's podcast as well. The one guy that I want you to do at some point here before the j- draft is Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback at Auburn, who I thought struggled this year when I watched him. But when they had more talent offensively in 2017, he looked like a really good West Coast type of quarterback. Um, I'm sh- Hopefully he's on your list to do a film. I liked down. watching him play over yeah. the last couple of years. Um, all right, I have a question for you. Um, the the question is this. I want your percentage chances on the following two things. Number one being that the Redskins don't address the quarterback situation in any meaningful way in this offseason, meaning no free agency addition except Josh Johnson, um, no trade, and no drafting of a quarterback in the first two rounds. If you want to say three rounds, that's fine. But to me, if you draft a quarterback in the first two rounds, there's a sense of urgency that's very apparent, that they, they're, they're, they're looking for a quarterback sooner rather than later. Third round or later, it's more of a down-the-road kind of thing when it comes to the quarterback. So percentage chances on they do nothing in this offseason to address the quarterback position in a meaningful way. All right. No free agency other than Josh Johnson. No drafting a quarterback in the first two rounds. No trade versus they do address the quarterback in a meaningful way. They sign Teddy Bridgewater or they draft a quarterback in the first two rounds. Give me the right now your gut feel on the percentage of both. I think there's zero percent chance that they don't address it in, in what you call a meaningful way. I don't think that they address it via free agency because I don't think that they can afford to pay any of the guys that you want to pay, uh, which to me right now is simply Nick Foles. I don't know if there's anybody else that you want to pay besides Nick Foles that you, you can pay. Teddy Bridgewater has been rumor. You know, there's been stories. Teddy Bridgewater is not going to be a starter for you. You're not going to come. You're not going to sign Teddy Bridgewater and guarantee that he's the starting quarterback. I think there's enough unknown there that I don't feel comfortable paying him What's he going to get? Fifteen million dollars a year? Twelve million dollars a year? I'm not paying him that to it's, not know that he's the starter. Right. It's been four years since he's played. He hasn't gotten better by not playing in those last four years. The other interesting one is Tyrod Taylor. Uh, you know that I don't love Tyrod Taylor as a starting quarterback. My feeling on all of these guys, as you go down the list of free agent quarterbacks, is that that position by the time they get to their third team, second team for a lot of these guys, there's a reason that they got there. There really is a true reason. You don't get to your third team because you're a great player. You get to it because you're not a good fit in certain schemes and you don't have the talent for them to change your scheme around you. And so uh, me personally, I don't think you can pay anybody. I think that that 15th pick, I mean, unless you, unless you really were crazy and 
got Antonio Brown or something crazy. I think that pick is either you're drafting Drew Locke or Daniel Jones because they fell there, which I also don't think is going to happen, or you're trading up anywhere to eight. And so, you're and you're drafting a quarterback. That that would be my goal. You're saying I, that that's since you're since you're saying that free agency isn't the way they'll go. You're saying that's a hundred percent. You just said it was a hundred percent. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it's. I'm, I've said it's a hundred percent that they they address the position. Okay. I don't think they sign someone in the in the in the March fifteenth free agents period through the draft. But I don't know if a lot of guys do. Like you're going to have. I wouldn't be surprised if Tyrod Taylor's still a, an available free agent after the draft. Right. Okay. So I think that if they don't end up getting the guy that they like in the first round of the draft, or the or potentially maybe the guy they love ends up being a second round pick, that they end up acquiring someone like Tyrod Taylor after the draft. Um. So it's a hundred percent that they're going to address it in a meaningful way. What's the percent chance they address it in a meaningful way via the draft in the first round or first two rounds or free agency? Let's say it's 99 because you can never say it's a hundred on anything. And I I'm, I'm weighing in my opinion a lot on all of this. And then to your second question, I, I think it's 50% or better that it's in the draft. You know, the, the to me, the, the free agent thing, if they were to sign Tyrod Taylor or Teddy Bridgewater, and, and the two of them, they're not good comparisons because what you said about Tyrod Taylor, when as you were describing it, made a lot of sense, I think, to probably a lot of people listening. When you get to that third opportunity, it's probably more about you than the teams you were on. Um, but Teddy Bridgewater had a serious, a catastrophic, near, you know, a, 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 a near career ending injury and really hasn't had an opportunity since he's come back from that injury. He started that one game at the end of the year with the Saints with all of the Saint backup players. So that wasn't really a true measure as to, to where he is. But it, it, uh, what I'm getting at is that if the Redskins were to make a move in that direction, I've said this on the podcast. I believe this. I don't know if you agree with it or not, but that's not what Jay Gruden wants. And if you end up with Tyrod Taylor on this roster at $9 million for a season or whatever, he's not being signed to back Colt McCoy up. He's being signed, at the very least, to compete with Colt McCoy to be the starter. And that would just say to me that Jay Gruden's influence on who his quarterback is in 2019 is not very meaningful or significant, that it's a Bruce Allen you know, uh, inspired or, or initiated move if they were to sign a free agent. The, the draft thing is different, but it, Ty, Ty, Tyrod Taylor, you're going to tell me that Jay thinks that Tyrod Taylor is any better than Colt McCoy? No. Okay. And I don't think that if you sign Teddy Bridgewater or Tyrod Taylor, even if you pay them whatever it is, seven, eight, nine million million a year, which I'm opposed to, I, I say that. I say that I'm opposed to it. But I don't think that they're immediately the starter. I think it's slanted in the favor of Colt McCoy anyways to be the opening day starter. I think it's saying we don't truly believe that Colt McCoy is going to stay healthy for the year, which how can you? So we don't want to go to the position we went last year. And no offense to Josh, but you know we don't want to have to go to a guy that hasn't been here and participated and played it at a a medium level at least and so we're securing depth and and in and they came in and but you're not going to get your stocks off then they could win the job but i think you would have to outplay colt mccoy 
markedly to be the starter. Don't you think, though, that a Teddy Bridgewater, uh, maybe Ty Taylor, but a Teddy Bridgewater at this point, that if he's going to be a backup, he's going to stay a backup in New Orleans? That why would he sign with the Redskins to compete or be a backup versus Miami to be a starter? You know, like if he's going to be, as a free agent, if he's going to be a backup, he'd rather stay in New Orleans and back up Drew Brees and be ready when Drew Brees retires in three years. Well, I think that's a lot, a lot of that's on Teddy because you don't know when Drew Brees is going to retire. And so Teddy doesn't want to be a backup for four more years. But he's not going to come to Washington to be a backup. Yeah, but if you came to Washington to be a backup, if you were his agent, you'd say Colt McCoy is going to get You're going to compete. What are the odds you're going to play in New Orleans this year versus what are the odds you're going to play in D.C. this year? What are your odds on that? I understand that. They're much higher in D.C. because of Colt McCoy's injury history, um, and potentially Teddy could beat Colt McCoy out in training camp. But if you told me that the choices were Washington to compete best case, more likely than not back up and hope that Colt gets injured so you get your opportunity, versus Miami – uh, or Jacksonville, uh, then I'm going to go to Miami or Jacksonville. Yeah, Miami or Jacksonville, for sure. But if you said Washington or New Orleans, if I was Teddy's agent, I would say go to Washington, yeah. and you should get a chance to play and show what you have this year. You should. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I I think the one thing that, that worries me, and you can get lucky in this quarterback thing, um, but what worries me is even the best organizations, the NFL as a, as a whole, generally misses – on first-round quarterbacks. There are more misses than hits in the first round. You know, there are more Jake Lockers and Blaine Gabberts um, than there are, you know, Patrick Mahomes. And so the Redskins picking at 15 overall, having significant needs, I would hope that they wouldn't take a quarterback that's lower rated on their board by a lot than, say, uh, you know, Devin White, an inside linebacker from LSU who could be a star. I don't He's got it. You have to if you want to take someone at fifteen, they have to be rated fifteen or better on your board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm completely fine with that. Okay, um, st- stick here for a moment. Got to do a quick read uh, for Scentbird. Um, it's time for someone uh, to come up to you, Cooley, and say you smell amazing because you actually don't smell amazing all the time. Um, and for somebody to say, what cologne are you wearing? Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service. It's a way to discover new colognes or perfumes without having to buy an entire bottle. It's important because good colognes and perfumes can be very expensive and really expensive when you're not sure exactly what you want. Um, you've probably, if you're wearing cologne, you've been wearing the same thing somebody gave you seven, eight years ago. Maybe they gave it to you as a gift. You want to smell great. You're pretty sure that you can figure it out, but picking out the right scent can take time. Scentbird makes it easy. They've got more than 450 designer brands for you to choose from each month. Gucci, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and more. You choose the cologne you want to try, and they'll send you a 30-day supply. I tried it. My wife tried it. It makes sense. It's very easy. Not sure what type of scent you're looking for? You can very easily sort the colognes and perfumes by brand, occasion, season, style, and more. And you can also check out user ratings and reviews on any fragrance. Here's the offer right now for my listeners only. Get 50% off your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first fragrance. Go to scentbird.com slash KS. SDC. Use my code 
KSDC for 50% off your first month. Again, that's Scentbird, S-C-E-N-T, bird.com slash KSDC for you to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on, smell amazing. No chance you know what your wife wears. Uh, actually, I do. I do know what she wears. What is it? Um, it's Alfred Sung. Okay. What does Maddie wear? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, try Scentbird out. You can. You... I'll, I'll get Scentbird. We'll get it going. All right. Um, I want to do a, a quick Redskins reality check right now with you. Um, I, I looked this up uh, last night. Right now, the futures odds on sportsbook.com and other sites are all basically sim- similar. Only the Cardinals are a longer shot to win the NFC championship than the Redskins in the NFC. I think the Redskins and the Lions have the same odds. So the Redskins right now are pr- you know, predicted odds-wise to be the second or third worst team uh, in the NFC. Um, the worst team in the NFC East. In fact, the Giants odds, and they're, they're the third best odds in the NFC, are, are significantly higher than the Redskins are to win the NFC championship. And I was looking this up. On average, the, the third worst, if we take it as the third worst team in the NFC, over the last five years is averaged 11 losses per year. Their over-under number right now all right. There's a range out there. I've seen it as low as five and a half wins. I've seen it as high as six and a half wins. Let's split the difference and call it six. If I told you you had to make a wager right now on over or under six wins for 2019, how would you wager? I would say over. Why? Because Jay is good enough to win six games. But I would have a concern in what is perceived as the last year in a coaching staff in an organization whether or not it's true i don't know but when it's reported and when it's out there when people talk about it you have that feeling if they were to start out and win four or five games in in the first eight or nine then they'll get to six they can't get to six and a half uh but if if things were to go poorly i know the feeling uh, with, with an organization that starts to trend downhill and a coach going out. By the way, Jim Zorn got a head coaching job yeah. uh, in, the, in the XFL in Seattle. How about I, that? I know. But, I, I mean, I know that feeling uh, amongst the group of players in the organization, and it's not a great feeling. And so I could see it going under. But I, I would bet you that Jay has a way to win seven games. Um, you know, it's it's funny because you're, you you nailed it. Like if they start out and they they're having a competitive first month month and a half of the season, then the over is probably very much in play. You know, it could be a season like last year. But if they start off poorly, it could go really south early and end up being very ugly. And it might not only go under, it may go way under. That could definitely, I, I could see that definitely happening. All right. Well, way- only you know who they're going to play in the first month. I do. I've I've been working on my mock schedule. Um, we're still about a month away from the mock schedule because the actual schedule usually comes out mid-April, right around there. It's before the draft. It's right after. It's usually the week after the NCAA tournament final um, in the, the beginning of baseball season. The NFL likes to time it for there because it gets so much attention. So it's like, hey, you got the NCAA championship over here and Major League Baseball starting, but we got our schedule. It's here. Look at it. Get all excited. Plan all your trips. Uh, I We do know some things about the NFL schedule. I don't know if you knew these things, but the Redskins are not going to play on Thanksgiving for the first time in three years. Uh, they had a three-year run of playing on Thanksgiving. Dallas, Giants, Dallas. They're not playing on Thanksgiving this year. Um, the Thanksgiving games are 
Detroit, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, and Philly, Minnesota. Or at least that's what John Orand um, from right. Sports Business Daily was reporting. Um, but anyway. Uh, you never want to do that schedule game with who you can beat, but they played the 49ers, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bills, the Lions. The Giants are going to be 49ers. better. The Giants, and I said that. Yeah. They I have the they, on, be on, on paper, I think the Redskins may have the easiest schedule in the NFL based on last year's records, which means absolutely nothing. A four sixty nine win percentage. I think from it's, last year's teams. I think it's the easiest. If I'm, the, I, I thought I read that recently that their opponents for two thousand nineteen, based on last year's records, are the. Uh, it, it, it's the easiest in the NFL. They yeah, play, but the Giants were ten and twenty-two. Exactly. I mean, they play them twice, so that collectively exactly. is ten and twenty-two. They're not a they're not they're not a five and eleven team this year. That's right. And it, really, what made the difference between the Giants and the Redskins is the, the their head-to-head games. But um, the, the Redskins have a couple of interesting trips next year. They go to Lambeau. They play the Packers at Lambeau, and they play Minnesota on the road, and they play the Patriots. At home, so there's some in in addition. Plus, I think they play the Bears. The Bears game is at home, right? It's at home. Yeah, um, I'll have that mock schedule out. Uh, You'll get it out. Yeah. All right. So the last thing I wanted to do with you is um, ask you uh, about your memories of the following: ten years ago today, Albert Hainsworth was signed by the Redskins, and this was part of his introductory press conference. You're not going to remember Albert Hainsworth as a bust or a guy who, who uh, you know, had the Dallas incident or anything. You going to remember him as, as a great player, and that's what I, I live for. You know, the money's awesome, it's great, but, you know, I'm, I'm out here. When I line up in front of somebody, when I put that helmet on, it's to kick butt, and it's to make sure that guy knows that I'm the best player ever played against. Ten years ago today, he signed the largest contract in the history of the NFL for a defensive player. Um, what do you remember about you know when, with the reaction that you had, that your teammates had when they signed him, and then some of your first uh, gut feelings about what kind of person and what kind of player he would be? So I actually went in with Galdi, and he kind of asked me the same thing yesterday. And I, I said, um, you know, I remember in the weight room when he came in in that first offseason, we were doing – dumbbell presses i think like lorenzo alexander could do 165 pounds he'd do eight of them and it's crazy and i I think i'd do like 140s hainsworth was doing 65s 65s (laughs) okay man sounds good i didn't get too involved with all of the signing stuff and all the free agent stuff as a player and you'd want to give someone the benefit of the doubt he had a heck of a year in tennessee the year before i think we had some high hopes for him but it didn't go well. It was immediate that it wasn't going well. It was immediate the way guys practice. You can see that. And, you know, again, as a player, you you, you want to say, look, just show up and play. I don't – I'm Clint Portis did crazy stuff during the week, but he showed up and played every week. So you get through camp and into games, you're like, just play hard. We're cool. It didn't really go that way. So, what, what, Do you remember anything about, like, when the team – like, was there talk among – teammates that this guy is this this isn't going to work or was there a moment i mean at what point did you realize it his, wasn't going to work it, like his, his his relationships were with nobody on the team so it was pretty pretty early in the year that we knew man this guy really doesn't necessarily fit in with our locker room and fit in with what we're doing and, and he's just kind of in his own world so yeah 
week one, <laughs> week three. And, and then, obviously, you, you watch someone lay down in, in the game in Philly, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he's laying there on the ground. What is he doing out there? Like it was. It, you, you don't want to suck as a player, but some of that becomes – you laugh at it. It wasn't good, man. Was it, it was, I don't want to say anything bad. I don't want to say anything else bad about Albert Haynes. Well, was his it, it talent was, was his talent noticeable? Yeah, at times. I mean, there were there were a few flash plays that he made early, but everybody knew what his talent was. That was the that was the thing that I think is hard. And looking back on it now, that's the thing that's really frustrating. Everybody knew what he was capable of if he wanted to. So when you know what someone's capable of if they want to, and then they're not doing it, you you realize that they just don't want to. He was just doing it. Look, it's a look, here's the thing, it's a business, and I, I don't condone what he did. I don't respect what he did, but I do understand in the way that he handled this. I'm just going to get my money. I am here to get my money. I'm going to take it from them, and I'm going to do the least I possibly have to do to take it from them. And it was apparent and obvious, and I don't think that he had a problem discussing that it was that's exactly what he was going to do, and that he was going to do the same thing somewhere else. And you know, it I, it wasn't it wasn't the way I would have done it. I, I I had a lot of pride in what I do. I still do, even if I don't want to do it. I'm still going to do what, the best I, the best I can possibly do to do it. And he didn't. So I I don't believe in the way he did it. But I do, I, I do know what he was doing. Do you remember the part <clears throat> where, when Shanahan came in, you know, he was forcing him to pass the conditioning test, played him the entire game in that final preseason game out in Arizona in 2010, I think yeah. it was. And you know, there were a lot of people in town. You were not a part of the media at that point. You were still on the team. There were a lot of people in town that were you know, uh, really almost backing Albert Hainsworth, like, oh, this is horrible what the head coach is doing to him, embarrassing him then, embarrassing him in this way. They should just cut him loose um, and, and move on. Now, Mike ended up getting a fifth rounder for him um, when they finally did move on from him. But do you, do you remember what the team's feeling was about all of that? Because that was a major story that training camp year. The conditioning test wasn't hard. Any that was the thing. It was what we had as a 300-yard run. You ran 25 yards down, touch a line, and 25 yards back. And the different position groups had to make it in different times. I think receivers, 58 seconds. Tight ends, 60 seconds. Offensive linemen, defensive linemen, 62 or 64 seconds. If you had done anything in the offseason, it was about one minute and a three-minute break and another one minute of hard running. He could have passed the conditioning test if he had done anything. So at first it was interesting, and then it become, became almost a, a little fad story between us. Like, when is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? We, I mean, we all wanted to go watch him do it. And, and I don't know if he was concerned that he wouldn't pass it. I, I'm sure that if he called Mike and said, I don't want anybody to know that I'm not going to pass the test, that Mike would have said, hey, come out at 7 o'clock uh, this, this afternoon before we get to camp, and me and you can go do it, and I'll hold it. And if you're, I bet, I'll bet you if he was close, Mike would have been fine with it. He just wanted him to go run it. Everybody else on the team did it. Everyone did it. It was the standard. The standard is the standard, and that's the new thing. Like, just go run it. So he didn't. Yeah, there was this. So embarrassing him in Arizona, I don't care, man. He hadn't played. He hadn't run. He hadn't proved that he was in shape. Mike wanted, him to, Mike wanted to get him in shape. Um, the, uh, 
you know, there was there was also the sense at the time that, you know, Hainsworth, once Shanahan came in and went to the 3-4, he's like, well, that's not why I signed here. And that that was somehow an organizational mistake. Do you remember having any feelings about it at the time? Well, he's you're in a 3-4 30% of the time. If they wanted to explain it to him in that fashion, you could have. I mean, if he, if he said, I'm not playing 3-4, uh, uh, rotate me out on first down and I'll play second and third downs, I'm sure that that would have been discussed. It's not that big of a difference. I mean, there there is some that you have to two-gap and take on diff, d- double teams, but Albert Hainsworth was so good. If he wanted to walk a double team into the backfield every down, he could have done it. You know, you and I have talked over the years about um, how when you were playing, you didn't really understand or didn't really pay attention to the discussion about how um, uh, how much of, of uh, how dysfunctional the Redskins roster, you know, management was, the free agent signings, the one, you know, bust after another, the one bad move after another. You didn't realize it as much when you were going through it. Do you think that, you know, the, ha- the Hainsworth uh, signing is universally, you know, basically the number one all-time free agent failure. You know, on any list, if it's not number one, it's number two. And the Redskins have like five of the top 15. You know, if you look at the, the biggest free agent, NFL free agent failures of all time. Do you, I mean, this was a Dan and Vinny move because Greg Blosh, the reports at the time that was that Greg Blosh didn't want any part of him. Do you remember that? Not really. Okay, so if you're gonna if you're gonna sign those guys though, like the Brandon Lloyds and the these guys that have a little bit of ego, that have, you better you better cater to them a little bit. And if you don't want to cater, don't sign those type of players. But just get guys that want to play football. It would have been easy to understand if Albert wanted to play football. It would have been an hour conversation. Hey Albert, will you play in a three four if we went to a three four two years from now? No. Okay, you don't really want to do it. Fine, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. I doubt that. I doubt that question was ever asked. Well, it should be asked if you're signing a D tackle. Yeah, you know, really, um, it all changed a year later. In many ways, it was that signing. You know, along with Jim Zorn being the head coach, those two things in combination really, you know, sent Dan into a new phase of the kind of owner he would become. You know, I'm not saying it's a it's a better ownership, but it's it, it's different. You know, you you've described it this way, and I've used your description before. But the last nine years or so was Dan's attempt to be a good owner. You know, bringing Bruce on, hiring Mike initially, not overspending for free agents, you know, every offseason, not turning the offseason into the the big Redskins, you know, free agency show. Um, it hasn't worked, but it was really that combination of Zorn and and Albert Hainsworth, you know, 10, 10 years ago. I mean, the end of Albert Hainsworth anyway. And there must have been some recognition from Dan that this was a massive mistake. And maybe it was, I don't want to be the one that fails anymore, so let's let somebody else do it. <laughs> but, I mean, you, because it, it hasn't worked, he, I'm just sitting here thinking, if I'm in, in those shoes and I don't want to watch film and I don't want to be a hands-on owner, because it didn't work for nine years doesn't mean that you don't try to make it work again. Or continue to make it work in that fashion. You well, do it the right way. Well, I, I, um, I've, I've made the case, and I know you and I, I think, have had this conversation. And I don't, I forget what you really think on this, but you know, if 
it it hasn't worked either way. He might as well go back. I, this is this this is part of. Oh, it'd what be you a lot think. more fun to just go yeah, do the things the exactly. way that you were doing. Yeah, if, if it was going to be the same outcome, you might as well have fun having that outcome. Well, and, I think I think you've made the case to me, um, and I've made the case on the podcast that it couldn't it couldn't be any worse. It couldn't be any worse to go out and be you know the the March and April you know winners. Um, you're it, you're not going to end up with with different results. Um, that potentially, could be better. I mean, if you look at the record with Vinny and Dan from 2000 through 2009, it's better than the record that Bruce has had since he's been running the organization. I mean, my analysis or my analogy is really this: if I had a fantasy football team and was you know in the top two or three once every four years, and then that of ten guys like eight, nine, the other four, and then hired someone, and for five years they were not in the top five, I, I would say, I'll just do it. I'd, I'd rather run my own team and suck. Exactly, exactly. All right. No, but I mean, it's not like I'm saying that. Like, they're, they're trying to. I, I, I don't want that to sound like they're, they're trying. What are your next quarterbacks? What are the next quarterbacks you're going to do? I think uh, the kid out of Ohio State and Daniel Jones. All right, Haskins. And, and maybe and McSorley. I want to look at McSorley a little bit. I like McSorley. I know you like McSorley, but McSorley's not going to get drafted in you know the first. I two just rounds. want to look at him. I'm not saying he's getting drafted, right. but he's a winner. Put Jarrett Stidham on your list, and then also on, on your list, you've got to go back when you've got all these quarterbacks evaluated and evaluate Josh Rosen again to see if because jo- here's the question Good about plan. Josh Rosen: If Josh Rosen, if you're if Arizona's legitimately interested in trading him, okay, you have to put you have to basically pit Josh Rosen against the other quarterbacks in the draft that you might have a chance to get at fifteen. I'm talking about from a Redskins perspective. No doubt, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. If he's available, he, you count him like he's a draft pick. He's in the second year of a five-year deal. Exactly. Yeah, no doubt. And you know what? Wouldn't surprise me if he would grade out higher than anybody else in this draft. Maybe except Kyler Murray because it's a different, you know, evaluation. We'll, we'll see. Well, I'll, I'll, well, I'll grade, also make I'll, I'll also make the the prediction that when you evaluate Haskins, it's not going to be overly favorable. Uh, that's I'm doing that in 2 minutes. Okay. I got it up. All right, call me later. Thanks for doing see this. You, buddy. All right, appreciate it. Thank you. Quick word about launch workplaces uh, in Bethesda. This is one of those fully furnished office, shared office places. Um, Launch has uh, facilities all over town. You can find out where any of them are by going to launchworkplaces.com. But if you live in the Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Upper Northwest D.C. area and you don't want a long commute and it's too hard to get work done from home, check out the new Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. That's Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. That's where I have moved. They've got flexible and affordable private office solutions. You can get work done. It's a beautiful new space, provides uh, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, free parking, 24-7 access, Get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial, 240-867-14, or visit launchworkplaces.com. That's 240-867-14, or launchworkplaces.com. All right, I had a couple of other things just to finish up the show with. Um, Number one, college college basketball last night was incredible. There were some great games uh, last night. I did not see the triple overtime TCU-West Virginia game. I did watch Virginia Tech-Duke, which we've already uh, mentioned. I really like Buzz Williams as a coach. You know, I just think, you know, he's one of those guys that 
I don't think he's going to be at Virginia Tech forever. You know, he's going to have an opportunity. He coached at Marquette. He's coaching in the ACC. So he's coaching the Big East in the ACC. It's not like there's a massive move to go. He's already at the top, you know, at the top levels of college basketball, just not at the elite levels of college basketball. But sometime down the road, there's going to be an opening that's going to be attractive and he's going to be a candidate for it. You know, whether it's North Carolina or Duke or Kansas or Arizona, if it doesn't work out with Miller, um, you know, that kind of thing would be a step up from Virginia Tech. You would agree that Virginia Tech is not an elite job. It's a football first school by miles. Um, But look, the Hokies are good. I mean, they've got they've got talent. Um, They're going to be, you know, somewhere between a five and a six seed. I think I've not looked at their latest position uh, in most of the bracketologies, but they've become the Duke slayer in the ACC. Yeah, you know, uh, almost you know, in some ways, taking Maryland's spot um, as far as that's concerned. Um, but they've got a really good shot to be, uh, you know, a, a four, five, six seed somewhere in that in that range. And I think Buzz William, I think he's such a good coach. I think they've got a chance to to make a Sweet Sixteen kind of a run. Um, the uh, the game last night that I did watch a lot of was Wisconsin and Indiana. Oh boy! Well, this was good. This was a good result for Maryland. Well, it was a great result. It's just the game itself. The game. Well, it, it's funny that you, why do you, why are you saying it that way? I mean, there's so many the, the refs, you know, just constantly stopping. Just I, I thought the the play just wasn't very good. Well, it was a t- it was a typical Big Ten game. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was you know actually fairly high scoring for a Big Ten game because it was sixty. 262 at the end of regulation, which is, you know, a lot of the over-unders in these Big Ten games are in the 120s, the low 130s. I mean, you're talking about games that are predicted to end up in the 63, 61, 64, 62, you know, range. Um, it was exciting, and it was the first time that um, that Romeo Langford, their terrific freshman, Indiana's terrific freshman, he was one of the top five players in the country coming out, and he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a lottery pick uh, in the draft in June. And you know, there have been times where I've been really impressed with him. Like he had a really good game w- at Maryland. Yes, he did. When Maryland beat him in College Park early in the Big Ten season. Um, but he has not finished these games well when I've watched Indiana. Indiana has Indiana was supposed to be a tournament team this year, and they're not. They had lost five in a row going in to the Wisconsin game, and I think it was something like 13 of 14, you know, going in. I mean, they had a lot of close losses, but they they beat one team. You know, in since basically the Big Ten schedule started, and that was Michigan State, and it was on the road. It was a shocker. Um, they've been close though. They had a chance against Ohio State and Iowa and Purdue. You know, it was a buzzer beater game uh, in their last outing, but they beat Wisconsin. Uh, and you know, it, it. I don't know what the Big Ten is other than. It's really competitive and more competitive top to bottom than any other league, but I don't know what it's going to look like in the tournament. There's some ugly offensive basketball. I don't know if it's a result of ugly offense or if it's a result from teams that are just scouted so well with great coaching, and it has great coaching. But Indiana is going to more likely than not finish in the bottom four of the of the Big Ten, which means they're going to play that first night where you mm-hmm. have eleven versus fourteen and twelve versus thirteen to get into that next round, which still the top four teams are a couple of days away from even playing. Right. 
But who's going to want to play Indiana? You know, who's going to want to play Penn State or Nebraska? These are three of the bottom four teams in the Big Ten that are capable of beating anybody. Hell, Northwestern, who's dead last in the Big Ten right now, is capable of pulling an upset. They they nearly beat Wisconsin the other day. Um, it's a good it's a good win for Maryland. Both results in the Big Ten. Ohio State just crushed Iowa last night um, after losing to Maryland over the weekend. Both um, are really good results for Maryland. Maryland's chances now to finish in the top four are pretty damn good. Um, now a tie with Wisconsin, the tiebreaker would be head to head. They split, and then it's their record uh, versus all of the teams above them. That's why a, a win over Michigan would be important for Maryland on yeah. Saturday. Uh, but anyway, um, the Terps have a game tonight at Penn State. And Penn State's one of those teams in the Big Ten capable of beating anybody. Why are they capable uh, of beating anybody? Well, number one, because it's already happened. All right, They've beaten Michigan. They beat Michigan at home two weeks ago. Um, they've, they've beaten a, they crushed Nebraska last week. It's a team that's won three of their last four. I've always felt that Chambers is a good coach. Um, you know, he's a little bit nuts, but, uh, they've got, they've got players. Lamar Stevens is a six, eight, 240 pound force, you know, as a forward, they've got a kid in miles dread. Who's a freshman who played at Gonzaga here locally last year, who's really come on uh, recently. He's big-time three-point shooter. He had a huge game in their upset against Michigan. He made five threes. I think it was like five for seven from behind the arc, something like that. He had, he's he been shooting the ball uh, exceptionally well. Yeah, Dredd and Bolton are both really good from behind the arc. Yeah, Bolton can really shoot it too. This is a good basketball team, and Maryland is only a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, they had a difficult time with them the first time they played them. At home, they pulled away late. Maryland did. They won by seven. I, you know, I. This is an obvious trap game. This is an obvious smell test pick. You know, I will more likely than not happiness hedge the game tonight and bet Penn State. And then I, you know, I would hate for Maryland to win by one. I'd take it, but I'd want them to either. Uh, no, I, I'd want them to win by one. Excuse me. I'd want them to win by one. It just would be painful to root for it that way because that's really hard. But they're only a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and the public's all over Maryland. Maryland's ranked 17th in the country. Most people have no idea that Penn State's playing well. This is the kind of game the Terps lose and have lost in recent years. This just looks like and feels like a loss tonight, doesn't it to you? I mean, it's you know what it feels like? They're going to lose this game and then win against Michigan. Yeah, that's that probably what's going to happen. what it feels like to me. It'd be a very... Uh, if they are able to go into State College tonight and win this game, it is an impressive win. Penn State's confident. They're playing well. Uh, it's, it's set up for Maryland coming off you know, a big win Sunday over Ohio State at home, a winning streak that includes Purdue, Iowa. Maryland's won three in a row now. All right, they won, they, uh, Two in a row, I'm sorry. They beat Iowa and Ohio State um, last week. Um, so they've got some momentum. They've won four of their last five, I think it is. Right, they lost to Michigan, but they beat Purdue and Nebraska before that. So it just this would be a should be an impressive win, impressive win. Um, I think it's a bad matchup tonight for Maryland. I think they lose the game. Uh, I would I would play uh, I would play Penn State plus the one and a half and not even think twice about it. I would. 
Uh, and yes, I, I bet against my favorite teams. I've done that many, many times. It's called the happiness hedge. All right. If they win and I don't and I lose the bet, I'm fine with it. But if I if they lose the game and I'm really distraught that they they lost the game, I can take solace in the fact that hey, I won money though, uh, betting against them. That's how that works. Crazy gambling. Um, all right. Uh, nothing else today. I don't think there was anything else today. The Cowboys stuff, a lot of you tweeted me about that. Uh, the Randy Gregory suspension, indefinite for substance abuse, plus David Irving. I don't even think that Irving's going to be on the team. Yeah, those are big blows for the Cowboys, no doubt. Might change their offseason strategy as it relates to, here's what's definite. You know, Demarcus Lawrence is playing for the Cowboys next year. You know, they're not going to lose their basically what you could argue to be their best pound-for-pound football player. Uh, it's a good team. You know, the Cowboys defensively were really, really good, you know, at times at the end of last year. And Randy Gregory played well. But they've got some young talent. I mean, you take Lawrence and you take Crawford, you take Van Der Esch, you know, who basically is – we don't need Sean Lee as much anymore. They were so dependent on Sean Lee. Leighton Vander Esch was phenomenal last year. They're going to have a chance uh, in the draft to improve themselves. Um, I would make Philadelphia the favorite in the NFC East today, but barely over the Cowboys. I personally think the Giants are going to be very good next year, but I thought they were going to be good this year. Um, what do I know? All right, have a great day, everybody. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Tommy... Uh, Maybe there will be some Bryce Harper news uh, by tomorrow, um, but we'll have plenty to talk about, including uh, for you Maryland fans, a recap of the Maryland-Penn State game tonight.